0: I probably shouldn't confess this, y'all may send me to a rubber room, but I talk to the television. Uh, I talk to the television during ball games. If a football coach makes a play and it doesn't work, I just tell him, that was the stupidest play I've ever seen. And if an official misses a call, I have been known to speak to them through the television, and Tell them what i thought of their call i started talking to the television watching the bible on the history channel last sunday night i was watching the bible and uh, J- jesus was going to be baptized and I'd, or- I'd already seen the preview and i knew he was going under the water so i felt pretty good about that and so jesus walks up to john the baptist and and uh, john's looking at jesus and jesus comes out in the water And I'm going, say it, John, say it, say it, John, say it. And John doesn't say anything. John should have said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So I'm sitting there yelling at John the Baptist, and Mary says, I don't think he can hear you. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm trying to get his attention. And he never said, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And then he did baptize him, he immersed him, and I went, all right. And then he came up out of the water, and they showed the sky. And I got really excited because I knew I was going to hear a voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And nothing. And then I thought, well, maybe the dove will come down. Nothing. I talked to the television. He said, why did you start doing that? I've been a Baptist preacher for over 40 years. Sometimes the television listens more than some of the folks in the pew. So that's why I, I talked to the television. I hope you don't think I'm talking to the television today, all right? And I'm going to say this, and I don't, if, if Palm Sunday is your favorite Sunday on the church calendar, I'm glad. But to me, Palm Sunday is overrated. Now, a lot of churches, Paula, have uh, liturgies and liturgical services, and they have everything planned out. And this morning, they had a Palm Sunday procession. And they marked in in pomp and gallantry and little children came down waving palm branches. And and, and that was the the palm. And they focused on Palm Sunday when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And and they'll leave after they do that. And they don't go to Friday. I want you to know when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen on Sunday. And he knew what was going to happen on Monday. And he knew what was going to happen on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. You see, that week had been planned in the mind of the Father since before the creation of the world. And it is Holy Week, and I don't begrudge that. But I don't put a whole lot of stock in Palm Sunday, and you're going to find out why in just a minute. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, and I hope you'll take this outline home because I'm not going to read all these passages I have under part two, but I've given you that so this week you can follow the week that Jesus had, the last week he lived here on planet Earth before he, ascend, he he died on the cross, was resurrected, and ascended back to the Father. And so we're going to begin reading just a few verses about Palm Sunday and then go to Good Friday. And by the way, I know some of you say, well, preacher, don't you know you're a scholar, you've studied all this? Don't you know there are people that believe that Jesus was crucified on Thursday and several fine Bible scholars believe that and I understand why they do it but I'm taking the traditional approach the the outline here follows the traditional approach and and so if you're one of those that wants Jesus crucified on Thursday that's all right but the world still calls it Good Friday so I'm going to go with the traditional view Uh, by the way I don't think there's any way we can be absolutely positive about this till we get to heaven anyway uh, there are a lot of things in the Bible that are that way, and we get to heaven, I don't think we'll have to ask. I think we'll know them. Well, if you found Matthew 21 and Matthew 27, stand, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's word. And this is the word of the living God. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you, at once you will find a donkey tied there, and a colt with her, untie them, and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their robes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their robes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. He who comes in the name of the Lord is the Blessed One. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, saying, Who is this? And the crowds kept saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And then over to chapter 27, beginning at verse 32. As they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means skull place, They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, I believe Palm Sunday is overrated because... Many of those same voices that were crying Hosanna on Sunday were crying crucify him on Friday. They had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Many of them did not know who Jesus was possibly until Palm Sunday. Now on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Passover, it was not known as Palm Sunday then. It was just known as the Sunday before Passover. It was a custom to bring all of the sacrificial lambs that were going to be sacrificed during Passover into Jerusalem to be examined by the priest and to be blessed and to be sanctified so that they could be used as Passover lambs. And so on this day, many Bible scholars, including Adrian Rogers, believe that what had just happened was that all these lambs, and Adrian Rogers says sometimes a million lambs would pass over the Mount of Olives uh, to be sacrificed. That's a lot of lambs uh, for that day and time. But that's what some of the Bible scholars believe. But it was a big event in Jerusalem, and people would line the streets. Now, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, one of the most magnificent places to cross is the Mount of Olives. You come from Bethany, which is on the other side of the Mount of Olives, and you come up this mountain. And when you cross the top of the Mount of Olives, you see a glorious sight in front of you. You see Jerusalem sitting on a hill across from the Mount of Olives. And in fact, you see the temple and the eastern gate. In Jesus' day, that's where they went. And so notice that the entry was at the place at the Mount of Olives. And then notice the prophecy, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Most kings come in on a white horse. That was the custom of the day. In Rome, when Caesar entered, he would enter behind a ch- in a chariot behind white horses, symbolizing the victory that the army had won. A white horse is a symbol of power and prestige, and kings ride white horses. But in the Bible, it says that the king of kings and lord of lords would come riding on a donkey. By the way, he was riding on the donkey and the coat, and the coat had never been ridden. Uh, Now you think, well, that'd be a rough ride. If you've ever tried to ride an animal that's never been ridden, it's usually not pretty. Uh, It usually doesn't last very long. Uh, But this was prophesied, and so uh, this, this this donkey and her coat came in carrying Jesus together and all these people were screaming and shouting and yet he didn't have to worry about falling off Uh, even the donkey knew that this was a special day and so the donkey carrying Jesus and her coat uh, as these people began to scream she made her way over the Mount of Olives and came into the beautiful city of Jerusalem and then notice the praise they heaped upon him they said blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord it was also prophesied that people would welcome him like that Uh, And again, there are thousands upon thousands of people there, and they're praising God, and they're, they're blessing Jesus. But then notice the last thing, the person. When they were asked after he entered into Jerusalem, who is this? They said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, they weren't welcoming a king. They weren't welcoming the Messiah. They were welcoming a prophet. Now, Jesus was many things. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was God in human flesh. But they said, oh, he's just a prophet. You see, these people who praised him didn't know who he was. He is more than a prophet. Now, a prophet was great. Some of the greatest men in the Bible were prophets. John the Baptist was the last prophet because he said, prepare the way for the Lord to come. The kingdom of God is here. Malachi was a prophet. Even Noah was a prophet. While he built the ark, he was prophesying the end of the world through the flood and nobody listened to him until it was too late. Moses was a prophet. Jonah was a prophet. But Jesus was more than a prophet. So that's the entry, and that's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. But then notice the events of the week. On Monday, he rode into Jerusalem. When he got there, it was too late on Sunday to do anything, so he simply went back. And all he did on Sunday was make his triumphal entry. But on Monday... He began by cleansing the temple. In John's gospel, John says he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says he cleansed the temple at the end of his ministry. You say, who's right? Both of them are. He cleansed the temple when he first started his public ministry. And then before he went to the cross, he cleansed the temple again because something significant was going to take place in the temple that week. The veil was going to be torn in two from the top to the bottom. He cleansed the temple in preparation for that event and then on Tuesday Tuesday was a day he spent confronting the hypocrites and he answered all those who were his accusers and they could not put him to shame he put them to shame and then he preached his last sermon before he was crucified called the Olivet Discourse now he did preach to the disciples in the upper room but this is his last sermon the scholars say because he was preaching a sermon on the end of time. Beloved, I want to tell you with all the turmoil in the world today, Uh, When you turn on your television and you hear fathers killing their children and relatives killing other relatives and blood is running down the streets in the buckets and we see all these signs in the heaven like that meteor over Russia a few days ago. You know, we have made a God out of the scientists in some places and we think the scientists can protect us, they can keep us safe from all harms and yet the Bible said there's going to come a day when the stars will fall from heaven and all of our scientists can't predict that. Only God can predict that. But these are indeed, I think, the last days. Israel is back in the Holy Land. And we see so many things happening that are talked about in the Olivet Discourse. And then on Wednesday, it's kind of a quiet day. He's preparing himself for his ordeal. He is anointed in Bethany in chapter 26. I hope... This week you'll take this and on these days, on Monday read that and on Tuesday read that and on Wednesday read this and then on Thursday we're going to come Thursday night and we're going to think about this in detail, the Passover in the garden. That's what Maundy Thursday is all about. The word Maundy comes from the Latin word Mondatum, and Mondatum comes from where Jesus told the disciples a new commandment I give unto you. And it was at our first Maundy Thursday service. Uh, We we changed our calendar up, and we said we're going to start doing the Lord's Supper twice a year at night on Maundy Thursday and on Christmas Eve, and then we'll do it twice a year on Sunday morning uh, at, at all services because we want people to partake in it. Uh, But it's a supper meal. Jesus instituted it at the Passover feast. But the word mandatum means new command or commandment. And Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. And for years I thought, well, no, that's not really a new commandment. It's just an old commandment. But it is a new commandment, beloved. The old commandment said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. And the second greatest commandment is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But here's what Jesus told the disciples. And I preached for a long time and never saw this until we had our first Maundy Thursday service he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Can I tell you that in the church, we're not supposed to love each other as a na- like we love our neighbor as ourselves? We are to love each other as Jesus loves us. You think that would make a difference in your Sunday school class? You go down there this morning and say, did y'all hear what the preacher said? He said he talked to the television. Sometimes it feels like he's talking to the television. Did y'all hear what the preacher said? The preacher said, Jesus said at the Lord's Supper for us to love each other like he loves us. And how did he love us? He loved us enough to go to the cross for us. I want to tell you, you have a Sunday school class. You have a group of, of ladies' ministry, Beth, where they love each other enough to die for one another. You won't be able to keep people from coming. You'll have to go to bigger rooms and bigger rooms. You know, we just don't unleash that love, beloved. It's in us. When you get the Holy Spirit, you know what the Spirit is? The Holy Spirit, another title for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And when you get the Holy Spirit and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you ought to love brothers and sisters. Now, you may not like everything that they do. You may not like how they behave sometimes. But you don't. You're supposed to love them. You know what your other choice is? is to sin against a holy God. Do we love each other like we're supposed to? Well, on Thursday night, we're going to talk about that again. Because he did the Passover and then went to the garden. And by the way, the garden was a place, a little piece of heaven on earth for Jesus. Sometimes he'd spend all night in the garden. He went there the night before he was crucified, not to sleep, but to pray. And his disciples could not even watch with him one hour. And then before sunup on Friday, they came and they arrested him. He was kissed by Judas. He was denied by Simon Peter. He was forsaken by every disciple except John at the cross. And he died. Now notice the execution. First of all, notice that first part, as they were going out. You see that? As they were going out. Jesus had been sentenced to die. Notice what Chuck Swindoll said about this. Betrayed and abandoned by friends, falsely accused, publicly humiliated, beaten beyond recognition, thorns dug into his brow, and crucified as a common criminal, Jesus endured pain beyond our comprehension. We cannot imagine what it was like on the cross or going to the cross. But the way of the cross, as they... We're going out. Now, many people, when we talk about Jesus bearing his cross, they have a picture of Jesus taking a long piece of wood with a crossbar on it and carrying it on his back like this and marching up a hill called Golgotha. That's not what happened. The long pieces of wood that went into the ground were already there. They stayed there all the time. It was a sign to the people, if you rebel against the Roman government, there's a cross for you. If you commit murder, there's a cross for you, and we'll put you on that cross. But you would carry your own cross piece. And by the way, they recycled the cross pieces. They didn't cut a fresh cross piece for every crucifixion. So when you're picking up that cross, when Jesus picked up that crossbar, it stunk because it had blood on it that had dried, and it had human flesh that had rotted away on that cross. so there was the stain. It wasn't a, like a gold piece of jewelry to wear around your neck. It was a rough, rugged piece of wood that was already stained with the blood and parts of the remnants of bodies of men. And as Jesus cried to carry it, He was so weakened because he'd been beaten and because he'd had blood loss and they'd plucked out his beard and they'd spat on him and they'd hit him in the face and they'd ripped all the flesh off his back and he was dehydrated and he couldn't carry that crossbar. So they got Simon and and Simon carried it. Notice the weight of the cross. They found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced this man to carry his cross. Jesus could not carry his cross, but someone was forced to carry it. That's the weight of the cross. But then the woe of the cross when they came to a place called Golgotha which means skull place. You know every year when I prepare to preach on the resurrection, the crucifixion, Easter I start studying and I I read and I try to find out things I I never heard before and this time I, I looked into the place of the skull or skull place. There are three hypotheses about why it's called skull place. The One that I find the most interesting, I'm not sure that it's true, but interesting, is that when David killed Goliath, you remember what happened? Where did he hit him? He hit him right between the eyes with a rock. He went down, and then David took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off. And legend has it that when David returned to Jerusalem after killing Goliath, he had Goliath's head, and he took Goliath's head and he threw it over at the foot of a hill. And from then on, after that head became a skull that place was called the place of the skull that's one story another story and I've been there and I've seen this and I can vouch for it is that when you walk up to what we call Gordon's Calvary it looks like a skull it's a hill and it looks like a skull I mean it literally looks like a a skull two eyes and a nose and and a mouth it looks like a skull a hill that's been there uh, since Jerusalem was founded and it's always looked like that Uh, The Arabs tried to cover it up when they had it. They put a bus station in front of it and put a cemetery on top of it because Jews won't go into a cemetery because it's a place of unclean things. And so they knew that would keep the Jews out. They didn't realize that doesn't bother us because we know now Jesus has cleansed the grave, amen? The grave's just a resting place for this old tired body. Uh, Jesus kicked the end out of it, made it a door to a better life. And and Dr. R.G. Lee went up there, and he had a spell on top of of Golgotha uh, standing in an Arab cemetery, and the guide, he had an Arab guide to go in there. And when Dr. Lee fell down on his face and started crying at the top of Skull Hill, the Arab guide said, Sir, have you been here before? He said, Yes. He said, 2,000 years ago I was up here. He said, Not me, but my sins were here. And my sins were nailed to my Savior's cross up here on Skull Hill. And then there's another, and this I thought was, I never had heard it before. I don't know that it's true, but it might likely be. That was a place where they crucified people. And, you know, we have the picture of the Romans being nice and kind. They were the cruelest people that ever lived. When you died on the cross, unless someone from your family came and claimed your body, usually they'd let you rot there. You'd be a sign a deterrent. Vultures and ravens would be up there pecking the flesh off of your bones until all that was left on the cross was a skeleton. And when the skeleton began to disintegrate, the skull would fall down. And some scholars believe that the ground at the foot of the cross was littered by the skulls of others who'd been crucified there before. How would you like to go to a place like that? How would you like to know last thing you look at is you're hanging on the cross, you're looking down, and you're seeing the men who crucified you, and you're seeing your mother and some other ladies who loved you, and you see the only one of your disciples that came to the cross, John, and then you see all these skulls. Now, Jesus knew he wasn't going to end up that way. Jesus knew on the cross, I have victory. Jesus knew on the cross, this is not the end of me. Jesus knew I'm here fulfilling the will of my Father, saving the souls of all men and women who will call on me for all time and eternity. I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to live again. What a dreadful place. Skull place. And then the work of the cross. After, isn't it something, when, the, when, when Matthew comes here, he just simply says, after crucifying him. After crucifying him. He doesn't talk about driving the nails. He doesn't talk about raising the cross. He doesn't talk about dropping it into the ground. Now let me paint a picture of that for you you're hanging on a cross now the the cross piece and and the other piece are together and these Roman soldiers lift it up and there's a hole there that they've dug for that cross to go in and they they don't just merely place that cross there they drop that cross into that hole and when it hits the bottom of that hole your flesh is ripped and torn as that cross rocks back and forth and yet Matthew just says after crucifying him Beloved, we cannot make crucifixion too horrible. I would imagine every one of us would turn our eyes away to see someone crucified. When I was a boy, I went down to the prison. They showed us the electric chair, big yellow mama. I want to tell you, I decided right then I didn't want to go to jail. I really decided I didn't want to be in the arms of Big Yellow Mama. It was just a big wooden chair. They would send volts of electricity through you. But you know how long you usually lived? Just a few seconds. Jesus hung on the cross. This Friday, I want you to think about that. Jesus hung on the cross for you from 9 a.m. in the morning to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And he was forsaken by his father, and the sun refused to shine. And there was darkness at noonday. But I want you to see lastly the wonder of the cross. I love the way my HCSB Bible has this. In fact, the most recent one I have has a block around it like, made like a sign. But the one I've got has in bold print, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. I wrote this out this week because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to repeat it exactly like I wanted to. But it's mine. I didn't steal this from anybody. On Sunday, crowds cheered Jesus and welcomed him into the city of Jerusalem. They hailed him as more than a king, but as one who came in the name of the Lord. On Friday, the crowd jeered Jesus and screamed, Crucify him. And a weak Roman governor gave in to their demands and ordered Jesus to be beaten, scourged, and crucified. And yet it was this same Roman governor who had a sign written that said to the world for all times, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. After the resurrection, God proclaims this same Jesus to be King of kings and Lord of lords. And here's the question. Is he your Savior, King, and Lord? And then this last question. What sign would you put on the cross? Put yourself in Pilate's shoes. You've got to write something to put on the cross. What are you going to put You're going to put, he's my Lord. I hope so. He's my master. I hope so. He's the son of God. I hope so. I know he's the son of God. I I would put that on my cross. Would you put that on your cross? Would you put on there, he's my best friend? Would you put on there, he's my only hope for heaven? He is my joy. He is my righteousness. He is one that's altogether lovely. What would you put on the cross? today because I want to tell you the cross is your life and my life and we're telling people out there what we think of Jesus by what we write on our cross let's bow together for prayer father help us to realize that as Pilate wrote on the cross this is Jesus the king of the Jews all of us are writing a sign today Lord, we're not writing a physical sign, and it won't be hung on physical cross. But Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. And Father, what sign are we going to put about Jesus on that cross? Lord, you're my best friend. You're my master. You're my savior. You're my Lord. You're my comfort. You're my shelter. You're my everything. Father, help us to live with what we write on the cross today. In Jesus' name, amen.